Hey everyone, welcome to the Old Moves Only Podcast. Today, we're revisiting the topic of homelessness, and we're very lucky to have gotten Jennifer Friedenbach, who is one of the best people we could have gotten to discuss this topic. She's currently the executive director of the Coalition on Homelessness in San Francisco and has been working and advocating for the homeless for 30 plus years. Americans have treated homelessness as a sad fact of life, as if it's normal that the wealthiest nation on the planet can't keep hundreds of thousands of people off the street. And just imagine how the crisis will get even worse due to this pandemic. Just last week, about one and a half million people filed for unemployment, the 14th straight week that more than one million people filed for unemployment. Homelessness also mirrors the injustices in our country and how our systems have disproportionately affected and marginalized certain communities. Just a few examples, in San Francisco, 37% of the homeless population are black, even though only 5% of San Francisco's population is. 46% of the homeless youth and 23% of homeless adults in San Francisco identifies LGBT, and you can see these disparities at the national level as well. I believe that solutions are out there. I believe the money is there. The U.S. government last year spent $732 billion on our military, which is more money than China, India, Russia, Saudi Arabia, France, Germany, the United Kingdom, Japan, South Korea and Brazil combined. Now, uh, I'm no expert on matters related to military, but I think it's safe to say that there's some money to spare. We need to see this as a human right. Everyone deserves a home. Nobody deserves to be left on the street to die. And this interview is mostly talking about San Francisco and the Bay Area, but it, it reflects the issues throughout the state and the country. And it's definitely worth listening for anyone. Jennifer, can you hear me? Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to me and be a guest on the Bold Moves Only podcast. Yeah, no problem. So I'd like to start by asking you, in your own words, um, what the Coalition on Homelessness is and what your role is with them. Yeah. So I'm the uh, director of the organization. It has been around about... A little over um, 30 years, and basically what we do is community organizing, and uh, we go out and do a ton of outreach to the unhoused community, get their input on what our agenda should be, and then push for systemic changes and fight to protect the human rights of folks who are uh, stuck on the streets. And so that's, you know, whether it means organizing protests, doing lawsuits, uh, legislation, Uh, media work, um, but basically trying to elevate the voices of unhoused communities so that they can craft change for themselves and um, have opportunities for self-determination. And how did you personally get started in working and advocating for the homeless? Well, it's it's kind of a random story. I mean, I, 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 started out um, applying for a truck driver job um, at a food bank 
and they ended up offering me a secretary job with um, both the food bank and administrative assistant with a homeless coalition. At that time, it was in San Mateo County. And I just kind of fell in love with the work because I saw homelessness as such an intersection between uh, so many different oppressions, whether it's racism or homophobia or um, disabledism. And I really saw that this was, um, you know, something that I might have some something to offer in terms of struggle. And I've stuck with it ever since. So I, I was born and raised in San Francisco and homelessness has always been a problem. I've always seen it my entire life. Um, but it's clearly gotten worse in my lifetime. Uh, but I'm wondering when, when did this really start? Like when did it, when did homelessness like really start to become a crisis? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times we talk about it, um, as a tale of two acts, uh, or two mass, um, episodes in the United States, two mass episodes of homelessness. So first one, of course, the great depression, and then we put in place all these different, um, you know, institutional changes that ensured that um, folks would be able to have safe and decent housing in the United States. And we passed a housing act and it basically guaranteed that right. Uh, and then you kind of fast forward to the late seventies, early eighties, and with the onslaught of neoliberalism and this, um, you know, we basically started stepping away uh, from our commitment to housing people in the United States until, um, that second housing act, uh, we basically removed that right and said the United States is not responsible for ensuring that everyone has a place to live. Uh, massive cuts to um, to housing, about almost 80 percent reduction in funding for housing uh, in uh, nationwide at, at HUD. And uh, we suddenly saw a million men, women, and children and didn't have a safe place to call home. And since then, since the early 80s, when those massive cuts took place, we've um, basically made a continued series of bad decisions or decisions not to address it. And um, it's gotten much worse, of course, now on the West Coast um, with rising rents. I mean, all of this kind of circles back to the huge disparity between incomes and rents. And as rents go up, more folks lose their housing. As we force people to be on the streets for longer and longer, things get more and more complicated as they get more and more traumatized and uh, mental health disintegrates, et cetera. And, and, you know, that's what we're seeing is, is the result of a whole lot of bad decisions. And you, so you say there's a whole lot of bad decisions, but at first glance, when you see the budget, it seems to be pretty large, like for 2019, 2020, the budget of the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing was 364 million. Is that enough room? Like, is that enough? I mean, it, like I said, it seems like a lot, but it's clearly not enough. Um, yeah. Like where, where, like, where is it even going? Well, that that's only 3% of our total city budget. So it's not very much. Um, and the overwhelming majority of those funds go towards housing people who used to be homeless. And so, um, you know, we have 4,000 units of housing for, um, for extremely poor people that are run by the city. Uh, we've got, um, you know, <laughs> basically a situation in San Francisco where you know, our, our, our low income population is being chased out of town. You know, we've lost, you know, large numbers of, um, 
of poor people in San Francisco and people of color and African-Americans and Latinos that have been displaced as the rents have gone up, many of those folks end up being homeless. And so um, the scale, you know, proportionally is really quite small. Um, that said, you know, that's that's combined state, federal, local resources. That's everything um, that's being um, that's being spent on on homelessness. Um, like I said, of the overwhelming majority, about three quarters of that is for housing. The rest of it's for shelter. Um, it's about twenty five hundred shelter beds and some outreach and that kind of thing. Um, but if you look at the scale, we're talking about about 20,000 San Franciscans experiencing homelessness each year. So we've got a long way to go. We've got a lot of unmet need. And basically our system right now is you've got to be homeless, you know, for decades before you get access to housing um, because they prioritize length of homelessness. Um, so we're, we're, we're talking about a really bad situation. More and more people becoming homeless every day, especially during COVID. Right. Yeah. I mean, speaking of COVID, um, how how has that exacerbated homelessness and like how do you see it being an issue as it continues? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 rough. There's a lot of despair um, out there because folks don't have, you know, the cafes to plug their charge their cell phones or the libraries, the drop-in centers are closed, there's um, the shelters are all closed, um, there's, you know, some distribution of hotel rooms, but it's really limited. So we've got a long, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really bad out there. So what do you believe to be the most effective ways to combating this crisis? So, I mean, this, the, you know, first off, of course, the federal government needs to reinvest in, in housing um, for, and making sure that, um, like other westernized countries do, you make sure that the poorest members of your society have access to housing, whether they're unemployed, elderly, working class, uh, people with disabilities, you know, I mean, folks who have been, you know, in a lot of, um, you know, a lot of a lot of this is a you know historic legacy of racism, and you know this huge um, widening wealth gap in the United States. And as long as we don't address that, at the very least, making sure that people have a safe and decent place to call home, then we're just looking at you know mass homeless encampments as being just you know something that is a new reality for us, and we're we're not willing to accept that. So uh, we, we believe everyone, you know, it's a fundamental human right. Folks should have, should have um, you know, the opportunity for safe and decent housing. And then, you, then the opportunities for everything else come along. It's very difficult to address your mental health issue if you have one. It's very difficult to address your unemployment if you're experiencing that. Um, it's very difficult if you don't have a place to live. And all of this gets exasperated. Um, you know, folks try to hold on to jobs while they're unhoused, but it's very, very hard to do. So, um, you know, we need to make sure at the federal level that we reinvest. It's not that expensive, you know, um, to do it. Um, we're spending a lot more on bombers and uh, giving people um, basically, uh, uh, you know, credits for second homes on um, in mortgage interest. I mean, we could we could stop doing that and make sure people have housing. Um, it's not that hard to do. And then locally, you know, San Francisco's in this really 
wonderful position that we do have a lot of uh, wealth and it's very difficult for municipalities to tax themselves because of restrictions to state law, but there's ways to do it and um, we should do it. We should be taxing the rich and housing the poor and making sure that um, we have the kind of San Francisco that we all believe we can have a thriving, um, strong economy and um, opportunities for um, for folks to succeed. Right. So, so speaking of that, mentioning taxing the wealthy, so you you helped to spearhead Prop C a few years ago, um, correct? Uh, yeah. We. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, we did. We 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 were the architects of of Prop C, our city, our home, which was a half a percent tax on uh, corporate income over fifty million. It's a gross receipts tax. Um, and then that generates just that little half a percent for income over 50 million generates about 300 million a year would have been, you know, we can, we can double our homeless efforts. Um, it is being held up in court right now. Um, there's anti-tax people who are suing it. Um, it's going to go to the California Supreme court. Um, you know, we believe we're going to win because we believe that voters have the right for a majority. And, um, this initiative was, um, put on the ballot by voters, and that's just a basic constitutional right. So uh, we're hoping that we'll be able to uh, move that forward. Right. I was confused because personally, I voted for it. I was excited to see that it passed. And then I noticed that nothing was happening and that it was kind of getting blocked um, and being there was opposition from politicians. So I was just... Yeah, well, it technically passed. So it's just that since it got held up in court, our city controller is not releasing the funds. So we are collecting the funds. They're sitting there um, in a fund. Um, there's about $326 million in it, and um, it's just sitting there, um, which is very frustrating when folks are suffering out there, and it could be used to buy buildings and um, you know give people rental assistance to stay in their homes so they don't become homeless. It could be used um, to... Um, you know, shore up um, emergency shelter. It can be used to uh, massively expand our behavioral health system. So these are all things that, um, you know, that could be done with the funding. And um, so hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be able to be able to get the funds unlocked soon. But you're confident it'll it'll pass soon? Yeah, well, we're at the appeals level. We'll get a decision really soon on the appeals and hoping it's positive and and um, yeah, so I think um, it's pretty, um, you know, it's it, it was it's pretty clear and people have been just interpreting this as special taxes that go to places need two thirds, even when they're put on the ballot by voters. But when you look at the language and the initiatives, um, it's really all about government initiatives. So we're, we're really confident we're going to be able to. Um, to win this. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, so, so you, so you spoke about, you know, federal, um, like dealing with this at the federal level and then a little bit talking about dealing with it at the local level. Um, I feel like there has been a common disregard for the role that local politics play, um, in everyday life. But recently I've seen a surge in awareness, you could say about what local politicians really can do. So, I guess, like, how, how important is it to elect officials who truly believe homelessness is a priority and propose solid plans? Well, I think it's incredibly important because, I mean, if you look at, um, 
you look at what what has been a really what's been the response to homelessness in San Francisco has been a police response, and that has been politically driven. And I think that we have had a lot of uh, corrupting of our homeless system or twisting it into um, a system that is really problematic because of those really bad anti-homeless politics that have been promoted by local politicians. Because look, local politicians didn't create this crisis. It was created by the federal government. But because they don't feel like they have the resources to address it, maybe they're unwilling to really seriously tax the rich to address it. Uh, but they're, they're like, uh, what do we do? And so in order to take blame off of their shoulders, there's been a consistent, very, very consistent, um, effort by, um, you know, by local politicians to then shift the blame onto the backs of homeless people whose backs, frankly, are already sore from sleeping on the concrete. And we've seen this with several different anti-homeless voter initiatives, whether it's the tent ban, um, sit lie, which is six months in jail, second offense for sitting on the sidewalk or lying on the sidewalk during daytime hours. Um, we saw it with Care Not Cash, which basically called all unhoused people, you know, drunkards and drug addicts, and we can't give them um, cash assistance, and so we need to take it away from them and um, charge them for shelter beds, um, uh, which increased hunger and a lot of other situations. So. Yeah, I read that. I read that since 1983, laws criminalizing homelessness have tripled in California. Yeah, yeah, they have, and that's been a technique. It's been used a lot in San Francisco. But what it does is, is that it it ends up over time shifting the shifting the um, the consciousness of voters, and um, you know, kind of people end up getting really misinformed. I mean, most San Franciscans think that homeless people come from out of town, for, for example. Our politicians are constantly talking about homeless people coming out from out of town. In truth, the overwhelming majority became homeless as house San Franciscans. The, the percentage that are remaining are, you know, often from surrounding Bay Area, but, you know, more often than not are from San Francisco, are, you know, brown and black people that got displaced out of San Francisco and they're now homeless in San Francisco because they have they still have family ties here and support systems here. So it's just a really, you know, a, a fundamentally um, problematic kind of set of um, set of stereotypes that go out there. Um, a really a shift from looking at the systemic causes of the issues to, you know, blaming the system to blaming the individual. And that makes it a real problem when we're trying to have common sense solutions to a problem when when our um, population gets so gets so misdirected right and um so you mentioned the the police response to the homeless and so london breed the mayor of san francisco just unveiled a plan to replace san francisco police officers with trained unarmed professionals to respond to calls for help on non-criminal matters involving mental health the homeless school discipline and neighbor disputes so and I've, I've seen that you and the coalition of homelessness have been actively calling to defund the police and since the homeless population are heavily involved in this conversation um, I just wanted to ask you uh, why this is so important yeah I mean for us um, specifically on the homeless issue um, you know defund the police you know obviously we're in we're in solidarity with that because of this this intersection with 
with homelessness. Um, if I'm, if I've got a homeless person outside my house and whether I want them gone or whether I want to get them some help, I call the city, the, um, the typical response is going to be a police response. And that's incredibly expensive. Um, it also is, um, an inappropriate response and therefore ineffective. Um, and sometimes of course, you know, it leads to use of force and, um, you know, shooting by police, um, etc. And so uh, we've got, you know, a number of people who have been victims of officer involved fatalities, um, have been um, people who are unhoused. And so, um, so there's just a lot of intersections there. Um, if the, if the, if it is a police response, you know, people are going to get ticketed if they can't pay the tickets, their warrants, warrants go to jail. We've been able to address that locally in most areas. That's still the case though, is that homeless people are getting tickets um, and then, and then they can't pay them. Um, and then you get warrants and then you, you, you know, you do jail time. In most areas, if you're in the public housing wait list and you get to the top of the list, if you have a warrant, you're automatically kicked off that list. That's the same case for most other forms of housing. Um, so it, it, it actually exasperates homelessness um, in this way that's really um, that's really problematic. It also adds trauma to folks. It also destabilizes people. So they're unable to stay in contact with their health workers, et cetera. During COVID, this is just so remarkable. I mean, you know, if you look at, we have a positive in the unhoused community, then the Department of Public Health has to do contact tracing. Well, if folks are being moved around constantly, not only do you have a, a broader spread of the virus in terms of who you're interacting with, but it also means that um, it's almost impossible to um, to do effective contact tracing because um, people don't really know the people who are around them. And it's, it's just, it, it, you know, maybe they know their first name. Um, but maybe not, um, especially if they're in a, if they're in multiple locations. So it's it really adds some seriousness to it. Sa same with any kind of public health response, any other kind of outbreak that we we could think about. Um, so it doesn't do anything, but creates all these other problems by just constantly moving people. Of course, our perspective is we should be moving people off the streets and into permanent housing. We should be giving people opportunities um, to be able to stabilize instead of just moving them around. So when 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 we're talking about like trying to address an encampment issue, what we're talking about is working with the encampment for several weeks, identifying what their needs are, um, allowing for their self-determination and what they want to see happen um, in terms of, you know, and then having placements for people. So um, that may mean keeping the family unit that's out on the street together. It may mean, um, uh, it may mean, you know, uh, that, you know, folks um, really want to go into a, a treatment program. It may mean, you know, um, a whole myriad of different possible solutions, but you have to work with folks and then you have to have the resources of where to move people in. Otherwise, the efforts are going to be totally unsuccessful, of course. We're just going to be moving people from block to block, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we're going to be spending a tremendous amount of money doing that and never getting anywhere. So we'd rather see that money spent on permanent solutions than, um, just moving people from block to block and giving them tickets. And as you said, relatively speaking, when looking at the budget, it's not even enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we've got, you know, in San Francisco, yeah. I mean, it's, we've got the housing and then 
but then you're basically talking about turnover, you know, and waiting for turnover units, and then you can move people in. Um, but we need a mass expansion. And then we need a lot of prevention. Like we should, we really need to make sure that San Franciscans don't lose their housing when they're in it. Um, and, you know, have a lot of flexible ways to, to address that. Um, one thing with COVID, we have some drop in rents. We're going to have some vacancies. You know, hopefully we can get some local housing subsidies to uh, move people off the streets and into housing so they can stabilize. And look, I mean, this this issue affects, you know, like poor people across the board. I mean, we've got, you know, thousands of kids in San Francisco that are experiencing homelessness. We've got elderly people. We've got, um, you know, folks who have worked all their lives in, in the Bayview that are now retired that have gotten displaced out of their housing. I mean, it's it's really a whole... Um, a whole mix of different poor people who, um, because of our high, high cost of housing, we're already living on the edge and, um, you know, and ended up um, falling out of housing and, and now are experiencing, you know, the worst moments of their lives. Yeah. And so we talk about, I mean, this is clearly, I mean, it's a crisis, and it's right in front of our eyes every single day. And yet it almost feels like it's been normalized. Um, like mo most people that I have encountered who aren't from the Bay Area or other places with heavily condensed population of homeless people are horrified when they come, come to San Francisco or the Bay Area and see what's happening. I mean, the United Nations even said the treatment of homeless in the Bay Area is cruel and inhumane. Um, and yet I, I feel like it has become somewhat normalized um, as somebody growing up in San Francisco. You know, you just kind of you just you walk down the street and yeah, there's hundreds of homeless people. Yeah, that's just that's just a, a day in the life. Um, so how, how can we change that mindset that this really is not normal and really needs to change? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of factors pushing against that, uh, that, you know, one of them is, I think, if nothing else, COVID's reminded us how interconnected all of us are and why, you know, not caring for one member of our communities has an impact on, on all of us. Um, you know, if we're all trying to shelter in place and people who are out there can't shelter in place because... Um, because they don't have a place to shelter in place, then that puts, you know, that, that, that puts a stress on our entire system. Right. And I think uh, whether it's the number of ICU beds or what have you, um, I think that with the housing crises in terms of the skyrocketing rents and the displacement that was happening um, pre COVID, um, you know, for the last few years, um, a lot of renters are seeing their faces in, in the faces of people who are out there on the streets because they feel housing insecure as well. And they know if they, if their landlord pushes them out, it's going to be really difficult to, uh, you know, to be able to find another place that's affordable uh, because, you know, they've been in their place for a while and they've got rent control and it's working for them. And if they lose it there, it's going to be impossible to find a place they can afford. Um, the other thing is the proliferation of tents. And this is an interesting thing. And I think really, you know, really came up around Occupy and a lot of a lot of um, unhoused community members were really um, a big part of Occupy and all the different um, cities and stuff. But, you know, on the West Coast in particular, um, you know, folks, you know, started, uh, you know, using tents and tents make things a lot more visible. And it's kind of funny, but people people don't really care. Uh, sometimes they see like, you know, some people can step over an unhoused person on the streets 
and not really think twice about it. But then when a tent pops up suddenly, that's a huge issue. And so I think, um, I think that that um, there's a lot of pressure on then on city hall to address homelessness. Unfortunately, the, then the response is to hyper focus on tents and just the removal of tents and not necessarily the the movement of people into safe and dignified housing. So, um, so there's you know a double edged sword to that. But I do think that there is um, more motivation than ever to try to address this. Um, in, you know, I mean, when we did Prop C, like we got like 700 volunteers overnight. I mean, it, it just really took off. I mean, people really, really want for the most part. I mean, there's some, you know, folks out there who, who have a more hateful attitude. But for the most part, San Franciscans are coming from a place of love. They just don't know what to do and how to affect change and what would make a difference. And they want to see a change. They want to see a positive change, not just, you know, an occupation by a police force. And so, um, so that's... Um, that's really good. And so we just, you know, we need to make sure folks have ways to plug in and, and, and keep building a movement to, to address homelessness. And, you know, um, we're a local organization, but, um, you know, I think that this has to, you know, it has to become a big part of the national debate, the presidential debate, and, and really um, for folks getting serious. You know, a lot of the candidates who dropped off did have really serious plans to address um, homelessness. And so hopefully we can we can keep that on the national stage. Yeah, definitely. Um, so talking about kind of how when homelessness becomes visible, then it becomes a problem for people. I'm wondering, like, is it possible to solve this problem without making some sort of, I guess, self-sacrifice? Like, I mean, I mean, just for example, like I just heard about the the concerned citizens of the hate uh, suing the city for creating a socially distanced, safe sleeping site for homeless people during the crisis. I mean, there's been um, opposition for homeless shelters, like on near the Embarcadero, and I and I, I genuinely believe it's a small minority who create this opposition. But is it possible without a complete sense of solidarity and everybody coming together to fight this problem? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like, you know, real estate interests at play. And that's, that's part of what we have to fight back against. And almost all of the, you know, anti homeless uh, initiatives have been bankrolled by uh, the financial industry. Uh, so, you know, I think that's, yeah, that's part of part of any struggle, we just have to really think of unhoused people as people. I mean, they've been so dehumanized and people think of it, them as somehow separate from and um, different, um, you know, it's almost like people think of homeless folks as folks who, who, who came, you know, came from a different planet or something. And so the way that, the way that they're talked about. So I think, you know, we have a lot of work to do, um, you know, making sure that folks see, um, you know, see each other as, as who we are and um, as human beings and uh, deserving of fundamental human rights and dignity. So, um, but yeah, absolutely. We got to, you know, keep, keep fighting and, and keep having as much uh, solidarity as possible. I mean, I would advise folks to look at, you know, not just what their direct uh, service organizations are in their communities, um, in terms of um, 
where to offer help, but to look at um, if there are um, organizations that are doing community organizing that are centering the unhoused community in their fights and then acting as strong allies to them um, and pushing for um, things, fighting alongside of them for what, um, for what folks are calling for. Um, and if there's not those kinds of things that are happening, um, you know, there, there's instead just like meetings at police stations that are bashing on unhoused community really, you know, push back and try to organize folks to, you know, to, to, to have a different vision, a vision of actually solving the crises, not just, um, blaming people for their destitution. Yeah. So, so beyond that, how, how can somebody who's listening to this, um, help, help you help the coalition on homelessness, um, you know, just to, if they want to be a part of the fight to combat homelessness. Yeah. I mean, folks can get in touch with us through our website and sign up for our email list um, on our website and then be alerted of different hearings and different things that are going to be happening. Um, they can, um, we have all our emails on there. Folks can email us and um, get involved that way. Um, but there's, there's definitely, I mean, it's a big fight and there's definitely a lot of um, ways to get involved. Just lastly, something I like to ask everyone is if you could give advice to someone who really wants to make a positive impact on their community or the world, but doesn't really know where to start, what would you tell them? Well, I would start by getting to know your unhoused neighbors and, uh, you know, let's talk to folks and see, see what's going on and find out what, uh, what they're seeing. What are the barriers that are, that they're facing? And, um, and go from there. Awesome. Well, I love San Francisco and the Bay Area. Um, and it's people like you that make me proud to be from there. So thanks for all the work that you do. And thanks for uh, taking time to talk and do this interview. Great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Okay, thank you for listening and thank you to Jennifer for taking some time to speak with me. I encourage you all to learn more about the Coalition on Homelessness on their website, cohsf.org. Follow them on their social media accounts. Their Instagram is Coalition on Homelessness. Their Twitter is The Coalition SF. They have an awesome publication you can subscribe to called The Street Sheet. So check that out as well. Definitely support them any way you can. Um, I'll talk to you soon and uh, let's be bold.